and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast. My name is Dan O'Rourke, and along with me today is Father James Mallon. How are you doing, Father? I'm well, Dan. Thanks very much. And this is also Ron Huntley, Mr. Ronald Huntley. Hello. How are you doing today, Ron? Great. Good to be back. Oh, my goodness. So it's the first time in a while that we've been in studio. Uh, we've had a, a lot happen between the last time we were in studio and now. Uh, I don't need. We don't need to go into updates. It's just been a great and wild time, but it is really cool to be with you guys again. Mm-hmm. And I think we should just hang out and you know, if it happens to be recorded, it happens to be recorded. What do you think, guys? Works for me. <laughs> awesome. So, look, I want to talk to you about bishops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted. Bishops. Well, this is kind of a, a, a clandestine uh, recording because we're, we're kind of um, – it's very strange. We're, we're, we're going to dare – to talk to an audience who probably will never listen to what we have to say. Or not, not they won't listen to what we have to say. They probably are not going to listen to this podcast. But maybe someone who knows someone might listen to it. And maybe in some ways there'll be a trickle-down effect. That, that That's what we hope. We want to uh, – this is effectively a podcast episode for a bishop. So basically all the things we've ever wanted to say to bishops. Everything we wanted to tell a bishop. Yeah. Uh, and so, if you happen to be a bishop, you've tuned into the right podcast. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> uh, so, look, I, there will be people listening to this podcast who aren't bishops. In fact, most of the people listening to this podcast are not bishops. I know we have a lot of clergy and priests that, that listen, but we also have a lot of lay people that are among our audience. Uh, so, let, let, let's go really quickly. What would a bishop's role be, just for people who are, are less familiar with it? The bishop is successor of the apostles. He is the um, the the he's got the fullness of the priesthood of a, in a diocese. He is the he's the he's the the primary shepherd of that diocese. Uh, the priests who collaborate with the bishop basically we have no ministerial authority uh, aside from the bishop, aside from the responsibility and authority that the bishop gives us. So he really is the the heart of a local church, and he is just as as priests are charged, you know. Uh, with to be to be priest, prophet, and leader, uh, to 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 speak the word of God in a prophetic way. He's a primary teacher, uh, and and uh, he's got the fullness of the priesthood. That's why every time a bishop goes to a celebration of the Eucharist in his own diocese, he has to be the presider because he is he's got the fullness of the priesthood. But there's also the task of leadership, and just as priests are challenged very much today with the with the task of leadership, bishops all the more so. The more so, so we we're approaching this topic with with first of all a great deal of sympathy and, and love for our bishops because over the last couple of years, you know, we through the ministry, Divine Renovation Ministry, we've been talking to a lot of priests, a lot of bishops around the world. We we've been doing a lot of traveling and and speaking with with groups of of of, uh, of priests and talking to bishops in in Latin America, all of the United States, Canada, in Europe. Uh, I was in Australia re- recently. And I see bishops everywhere struggling with the exactly the same things, mm-hmm. uh, with the issue of leadership and how to how to actually lead uh, a change in pastoral methodology, the kind of change that's being called on from the highest levels of our church. How do you actually lead change? It's the same struggle that priests are having in parishes, except mm-hmm. for bishops, it's all the more difficult, all the more challenging. Magnified, for sure. So, if, if if the conversation is about what we want to say to bishops, um, what are some of the sort of the key elements that uh, that we want to communicate? Well, I think first and foremost is that uh, I think if there are any bishops listening, <laughs> we love you. We know that uh, this is probably the last job you probably ever wanted. We want to thank you for saying yes 
to God's call, probably, you know, leaving a home diocese, um, um, mm. leaving a parish that you loved or a ministry that you loved to, you know, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, the first couple of days was fun, uh, but <laughs> but then it, it's dealing with a lot of stuff, you know, the, the, as they say, there's a certain thing that kind of rolls uphill and, and that, mm. and that it seems to be the lot of so many bishops just constantly dealing with problems and and uh, my heart goes out to these men and I take my hat off uh, and, and to honor them for 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 their work and their labors and you know as a priest I must confess it you know I think a lot of priests their favorite hobby is to kind of you know criticize their bishop you know armchair bishops yeah yeah, yeah. It's, no. it's just it's just easy to, <laughs> to be- point. You know, it's it's it, over there, but of, yeah, course, of course, as they say, when you point one finger, there's two others pointing right back at you. Well, Father James, it's interesting in, in doing the coaching in the leadership network. A lot of times, as we get into leadership principles with that pastor and his leadership team, the pastors themselves are the first one to say they had zero training in leadership in the seminary and none once they became a priest and none once they became a pastor. But but what about bishops? Tell me what type of training they received. Absolutely zero. In, in terms of leadership training, uh, so they have uh, what's called bishop school. Uh, when you're uh, someone is named a bishop, I've got a g- good friend of mine who was just over in Rome for that, and you go over for a week in Rome. But basically, the tour, as far as I understand, uh, you get toured around the different Vatican offices, and you have talks on the spirituality of a bishop and the the call of a bishop and the role of a bishop. But again, as in as in many instances in 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 official documents of our church. When it comes down to leader, leading, actually, the, the not the office of leadership, but the, the charism or the task of, of leading, there's no training. There's no leadership training at all. And so bishops are basically have the, about the same kind of training as priests do. And we know from a coaching network, and it, in case anyone doesn't know, we've got 20 parishes from several different countries that we're, that we're coaching um, in our Divine Renovation Network. And we're, we're just learning so much. Uh, uh, from, from these parishes and from this coaching experience, but bishops struggle exactly the same way as priests do. And it's funny you say that because I would say this, the fact that we're coaching into several different countries and all these church, uh, churches all over the place, they have actually almost identical problems and experiences exactly. within their diocese. Exactly. <laughs> it's unbelievable to me. You know, uh, Patrick Lencioni says that the most challenging uh, leadership today, in his opinion, in the world is is to be a priest, is, is to be a pastor of a church. Uh, imagine being the pastor of a diocese. Uh, multiply mm. that ch- that leadership challenge by ten. Absolutely. And throw in the fact that that often bishops are very isolated. Uh, they feel tremendously the burden of their office, um, managing the resources of the church, uh, the patrimony of the church been called to be faithful to proclaim the gospel in a almost you know an increasingly secularist world and and all the the personnel issues that constantly come up i remember mm-hmm. the last little while i go in and see my bishop every th- every 3 months just just to say how are you doing here's how i am doing here's what's going on in the parish and every time i i he looks out his door and he and he sees me coming in i almost see that kind of look in his eye that says is he coming to Tell me some bad news. Like, what, what problem is he going to bring me? Yeah. Uh, and there's almost a sense of relief when it's like, I'm not here to bring a problem. I'm here to, I'm here to talk. Mm. Uh, but, but there's that constant burden. And you add in some of the, the heartbreaking uh, things that oh. bishops have had to deal with around clergy abuse and how soul-sucking this is. Uh, and uh, again, my heart goes out to these men. And I think that uh, I just wish we could 
some way to be more supportive and loving towards them in the isolation of their office. But pastors of parishes, priests can also experience a very similar type of isolation. Oh my heavens, absolutely. And that's been my experience as well. It's, it's really a challenging job because, you know, you said for some for some priests, you know, one of their pastimes would be an armchair bishop and to complain. Well, some parishioners, their, their pastime is to be an armchair priest and they complain about the pastor. So a lot of the same pressures. <laughs> so, but it's like it's magnified. And the thing is the task of leadership, no matter if you exercise, if, you, if you're in the office of leadership and you don't lead, you'll be criticized. If you have the office of leadership and you lead, you'll be criticized. <laughs> uh, because to lead is to lead change. There's no other type of leadership. To lead is to, is to move from one place to another. And no matter what and, and how good and compelling the reason is to change, there's always a, a large group, not necessarily a large group, but there's always a group of people who will absolutely resist change. And uh, my own bishop will, will joke. He'll, he'll say, you know, I used to think that bishops had all kinds of authority. My experience of bishop is tells me I have absolutely no authority. <laughs> I can I can suggest and and you know when I, and as I go out and I, I speak uh, in different dioceses, I I find there is a general principle when a bishop says to his whole diocese, "We're going to do this." About one third of the pastors will do absolutely nothing. One third will give it a try, and when they encounter difficulties, they'll stop. And generally, one third will will actually do the thing the bishop or you know, make a go of it. And that's just the reality out there. So that's what a bishop has has to work with. And there's all this this perception that the bishop has infinite power, uh, and infinite resources and infinite money. And uh, I know as I speak, I've been I'm convicting myself at times when I've been maybe uh, thinking the same thing, thinking or... the same thing about my bishop. It's like, come on, bishop, you know. So I think those are some of the challenges. And I I think just as as priests are often isolated in their leadership, uh, so are bishops even more so. Uh, you know, so, because one of the challenges is that we were formed uh, for priesthood in in Jerusalem, but we're in Babylon in a sense. We're we're, we're a church mm. in exile, and all of our training and everything is is for is for a different context. And and yet, in the position of leadership, we're we're meant to. We can't show people that we're scared. Like I really mm. think today, a lot of bishops are scared. They're they're scared because they see in many places, especially in in, in Canada. The dioceses, entire dioceses are in decline, and and bishops are are they see it? They they have personnel issues, they have resource issues. And that declining. comes back to them, right? Like the the, the whole sense of buck uh, stops uh, there. Yeah, exactly, right. The buck yeah. stops there. Yeah. It doesn't kick up any higher up the line, does it? No, I mean the thing is that the, the bishop is the chief shepherd in his own diocese. He's he's in communion with uh, the successor of Peter, the bishop of Rome. The, the Pope, but it, it's to see, even say that the, the the Pope is the bishop's boss. Well, I think there's something like eight thousand bishops in the world, or something. So how do you, you know? And so he sees them each every once every three months. He sees them. <laughs> he sees them like once every five years in groups. It's called an ad limina uh, visit. So the bishop really is 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 alone, uh, apart from consulting with his with his brother bishops and no other bishop is above another bishop so even an archbishop is for those who may not be familiar with this who are listening an archbishop is not the the boss of the other bishops you know so the, the bishop often is 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 isolated and as often happens even with priests the people around the bishop often don't they may not challenge him they may they may tell him what he wants to hear um, they might not say what they really think you know, as happens. Mm. This often. Is happens and, with priests, right? I mean, and, like, hap- and it happens oh in gosh, it happens absolutely. everywhere. It happens everywhere. Yeah. I mean, anyone in, who's got- in the business world. I mean, if there's not a healthy environment, uh, what people really think and feel will be revealed at the water cooler or in the parking lot after the meeting. I mean, people 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're going to talk more about that, I think, in the next podcast. We think we've got enough stuff here um, to do a couple of podcasts. So, so that that's kind of the the challenge of leadership that we see. And uh, so, but we've got some thoughts. Uh, again, not that any bishop has asked her. Well, that's not true. A few have asked you her had, advice. Yeah, let's, let's be fair. True. I mean, that's like, you know, true, the yeah. conversation has happened between between you, Father James, and, and you too, mm-hmm. Ron. I mean, yeah. you're both in these roles coaching people. And, and it, it seems self-evident that bishops need some support sometimes. They're not, they're not born to be bishops, right? They're not, they're not born into that role, I should say. But my experience, Dan, is that every leader needs support. Every Amen. leader, no matter how gifted you are in leadership, like, because as you lead, even, even if you're leading well, the very fact that you led well means that the thing you're leading will be different than what it was. And so you're constantly facing new leadership challenges. And I'm constantly being being challenged to stretch and grow my own leadership abilities. And, and the, the, the leader does not have the luxury to say, that's not who I am, or I'm not hardwired that way, or I'm an introvert, or whatever. Like, that may be so, but it, it's, it doesn't mean that you, you, you can't be stretched and, and challenged to grow uh, in your leadership capacity. Well, and I know around here for me, like just being a part of a senior leadership team with yourself and the other people we work with are so amazing. They make us better. You make me better. I've grown as a leader. I can't not grow as a leader with you guys around because we challenge each other incredibly. And there's a pastor named Jerry Reddy who said the people closest you, to you determine your trajectory. And so... You know, who are we surrounding ourselves by in terms of leadership? Who has the chops and the results and the impact that we strive for? And it's there are some important questions, and that's why I love the network in terms of the coaching, because we are really stretching each other and helping each other grow. And what would that look like if we were able to work with bishops? I know that's always been a... Well, but one of the things... The dynamics are the same. The dynamics that we see at parishes are the same with, with within a diocese. So, generally, in a in a parish, people want the change, but they don't want to change, right? So they want the fruit of change without the pain of change, and it's the same in a diocese. And often, bishops will talk about you know new evangelization or or changing our methodology or you know uh, being a, going to the existential periphery, as Pope Francis calls us to do, and to be that kind of a disciple-making church, an evangelizing church. But but then comes the, 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 the when it comes time to actually put your money where your mouth is, then, then we run into problems. Mm. Uh, um, and, and we stall out often. Or we, have, we deal with, we get flooded with complaints and we kind of st- stall out. So we're going to talk, I think, a few things of how do we, how do we basically, you know, what are some of, maybe ideas that the, in discussions that we've had with priests along the way and, and, and some bishops, what, some things that we think might improve things. <laughs> <laughs> so well, why don't we dive right in at that point then? So what, what are some of the things that can help set a bishop up for success? I think one of the things that can really help a bishop is one, establishing whether or not we can win. Like where's your heart with respect to where your diocese is going? Like Rob often says, one of the important roles of any leader is to define reality. So where are we at? Are we winning or are we losing? And if we are losing, it's okay. But let's not keep losing. Do you think we can win? And when I think of one gentleman in particular who was a bishop, and every single one of the churches in his diocese publishes in their newsletter or their bulletin every week how much money they need to break even and how much money they actually collected. And every single one of them or significantly below week in and week out. And that gentleman's going to be, that bishop's going to be retiring in four years. What's he going to have left to hand over? 
And what he was trying to do is to create a, he had this great big strategic plan he spent all kinds of money on and he wanted everybody to do a thing and nobody was doing it. And so collectively, they were just all failing miserably. And I thought to myself, and I remember talking to him, my heart bled. I thought to myself, your problem's bigger than any solution I can bring to the table. But if you give me one or two priests who have capacity, and you give me one or put them in one or two parishes that have a potential for impact, and I will help you help them succeed. And when you turn your diocese over to the next fellow who comes in, at least you'll have two beachheads where you're winning. And, right, I don't know what else to say. Well, what Ron is saying, I think, is the most critical thing. Then over the years, when I visited dioceses, and, you know, anytime I go to speak to priests, generally there's a time, a supper, or a time to talk with, with, with the bishop. And almost universally, uh, what I hear is that the number one starting point is that the, the underlying presumption around any strategy to try to turn this around is we're going to get a plan that everyone's going to do together. We're all going to do this together. And right away, I think it's a fail. It's never going to happen. It's not going to happen. Do you know why? Because not every pastor, every priest has the capacity to actually do this. They don't. It's simple as that. There's, there's, there's priests who are cynical and have just kind of something has died inside. They're just putting in time. They're never going to get, they're never going to lift a finger for this. There's, there's some priests who are well-meaning and sincere, but perhaps don't have the, the, the capacity to, to, to form a team and actually lead this way. But in every diocese, there are amazing priests who have the desire and the leadership capacity to actually do something about it. It might only be about one in three active priests, priests in active ministry. But I say to bishops, like if there are any listening, identify who your key men are. Identify them with the greatest capacity on the one hand. And then on the other hand, identify where are your strategic parishes? Where are your parishes? Like you talked about a beachhead, mm. you know, like uh, when the when the D-Day planners looked, looked at Fortress Europa, they, they, they looked and said, what, what is the place where we can most, most likely succeed, where we can make a beachhead? Like, what are your most strategic parishes? And align your best pastors with your strategic parishes and commit those pastors, those priests, to long-term leadership, at least 12 years. At least 12 years. Now, now you can't do that with every priest in a diocese, but at least these strategic pastors with strategic parishes. And then come around those pastors and invest in them like crazy to give them the resources they need to build something from within in their parish. You're talking long-term commitment here, but long-term, this will bear fruit. And when you have a model parish, a parish that models health, it will begin to breathe life into the parishes around it and begin to minister to the parishes around it. The other crucial thing about long-term leadership is, is that so often, I'll tell you the story. I was in Paris in October last year. I was presenting to over 100 priests. And it was a priest from uh, Lyon, I think, in southern France. And he told me uh, wonderful things had happened in his parish over six years. And he, it was wonderful. And then he concluded by saying, but uh, in June next year, I'm going to be moved because my six years are up. Huh. And I said, why? He said, because my six years are up. I said, but why? He said, well, that's that's the way it's done. I said, why? He said, I don't know. That's just the way it's done. Like, 
here's a man who's made a beachhead, mm-hmm. and we're gonna we're gonna switch him out. Why? Because his six years are up. You know that kind of 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 mo- way of moving priests around that belongs to a bygone era. That belongs to 50 years ago when a maintenance church could could do fairly well, uh, because in a maintenance church, priestly ministry was fairly well defined. And, and in one sense, in spite in spite of the fact that different priests had different charisms and gifts, the task essentially was the same. It was most priests could do what most priests could do. But if you're in a parish that's actually being led somewhere to become something different and you move out a priest like that, you're hitting the reset button and you're starting all over again. And and priests lose heart. Priests end up saying, what's the point? Like, what's the point of having passion and a desire and a dream when I'm just going to be moved and someone's going to come behind me who has no vision, no passion, and is going to dismantle or let everything fall apart that I did. And, and I've... You know the priests that have fire in their bellies and passion that I've spo- that I've had the grace to meet in different countries, they're suffering in the same way with this issue. So bishops, please, if there's even one thing that you get from this podcast, if there are any bishops listening, uh, <laughs> is that very thing. Please identify your your your. your priests with the most potential, your most strategic parishes, and commit to long-term leadership. Father James, it was interesting because we got I got a call uh, probably about six months ago from a priest and. He was connected to me from somebody else who's in leadership training. He said, you really should connect with the folks at uh, St. Benedict Parish. And so he called me, and we spent some time on the telephone. And this guy, he reminded me a lot of you, actually. He's very intelligent. He's articulate. He was passionate. He was amazing. And we talked about some principles. And, and he was in a growing church in a growing area. And he said to me, I said, what are your goals? What do you want to do? And he says, well, you know, I just got to get things ready for, for when I move because I'll probably only be here six years. And, and so he was intentionally setting his sights very low so that mm. he, the bar would be low enough so that the next person would come in. I said, okay, that's, that's, that's great. And so you'll go to another church and you'll do the same thing? He said, yeah, probably. And then another church and do the same thing? Yeah, probably. I said, that's wonderful. You've just set an incredibly low bar for the entire Catholic Church and you have so much capacity. Why are you wasting all of your talent, your abilities on something so small. Like, why not ask your bishop to put you somewhere that's really cool and do something that's never been done before and live out that passion you have in a way that's going to make a difference? And instead, we just set such low standards. You know, when you, you cycle priests around like this, it it, it, it violates the, the biblical principle of pruning. You know, Jesus says that every branch that does not bear fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And every branch that does bear fruit will be pruned so that it may be bear even more fruit. So pruning is, is, is biblical. And... I think if you, what happens when you don't prune a, a bush? Basically, all of the resources and nutrients get spread equally everywhere, and pretty much all the flowers are small, stunted, and ugly. But if you prune, <laughs> it's true. It is if true. If you prune, the goal of pruning is that so that the bush might not produce more as many flowers, but the flowers that are produced will be beautiful mm. and 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 attractive. And here's the thing. Every diocese needs a model of health. This is so crucial. Because if you don't see what health looks like, and by a healthy church, I mean a church that is evangelizing, a parish that is actually evangelizing, evangelizing 
primarily people on the outside of the church, people who don't believe in God, who don't believe in Jesus, who who have been away from the church, who don't know Jesus in a personal way, and sometimes even evangelizing people in the pews, but evangelizing, discipling, and missioning out, equipping people for ministry, uh, identifying their gifts and passions, and setting them up to be success in ministry, whether that's evangelization ministry or kind of administration or service or people with a heart for the poor and social justice, like, like, evangelizing, discipling, and missioning. We need to see what that looks like. Because mm. if you don't see what health looks like, you, you, we, we don't know what health is. And I, I, there's a line in the book, that I think I think it's in the book, but I, it's something I used to think in my last parish when people would come and, and say, oh, this is amazing, because I always saw, thought, oh boy, we're, we've got so far to go. But I would think, um, you know, if you hang out in the morgue all day, the people in intensive care look great. <laughs> and sometimes we and we don't know what health looks like and when we see health it inspires it's part of that yes. defining reality and we need we need my dear fathers my dear father bishops we need models of health in every diocese not just suburban and that's the danger if you've got like our parish is a is is a suburban parish it's the largest in our, in our diocese and if we're the only model of health then then people say well the only parishes that can be healthy are large suburban churches we need uh model churches that in urban centers and rural centers i got a priest friend who's striving to lead his parish his very very rural parish to place of health and i said to him if you can show forth this fruit you can be an inspiration to more churches in canada than I, than we can because mm-hmm. you you can bring a, a small parish to a place of health. And the point is that healthy things grow and bear fruit. Health, Small churches, urban churches may not be able to do everything exactly the same way, but parish renewal is not about best practices. Right. It's about creating a place of health so that God can work and produce fruit in lives. I want to drive you back to a point you made earlier and a challenge you issued to, to bishops was identify the best guys in your parish, in your, in your diocese. How do they do that? I mean, I, I've seen a lot of leaders, and they often pick their, the, the, their best leaders based on the ones they get along with best. Um, so what, what kind of things should they be looking for in their, in their pastors to, to pick the and ones are, that are going to win? every bishop's past pastors. Not necessarily. You know, there's some bishops who were uh, in administration or teaching roles or canon lawyers and such. They, they, they bring um, a different set of gifts, you know. And, but I would say the number one thing you want is, is is a priest who's got passion. To, even be, even before that, I'll say a priest that believes is possible. Mm. That a renewed parish is actually possible. Because if a, if if something has died within the priest, you know, I, I was speaking in um, Oklahoma City just last week, and to the priests who were there, I said, I said, you know, I asked them to put up hands. I said, is there any priest in this room who didn't go into the seminary with a dream that they were going to change the world? They all put their hands up. That's why we did this. That's why we're crazy enough to do this. We want to change the world. We want to win the world. And, and yet that dream, that passion gets, suff- gets crushed out of you oftentimes. And, it, and it's tragic. How so, many of them still have that when they leave the seminary? That's what I want to know. <laughs> well, that's, that's, I mean, I love my time in the seminary, but yes. it, was, it, was, it was a challenge. And then your first years in ministry, where you're, you're, you're taught to not rock the board and keep your mouth shut and, you know, mm-hmm. um, business as usual. And... Um, but that's the first thing you want is is priests that have a passion and and a belief that it's through God, through God. It's not mm-hmm. our human efforts, but but God wants to use us to 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 see amazing things happen. I believe that. And I believe, you know, St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, God chooses the weak 
to shame shame the strong and the the foolish to shame the wise. So the question is, are you find priests who are weak and foolish enough, <laughs> Amen, to believe that God can use them to, to change to change things, and who have a passion for it, a passion, and that's your starting point because between desire and 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 giftedness or intelligence, give me desire any day. Give me that any day, because I've met a lot of gifted, intelligent priests that the, the, the fire of desire is burned low in their hearts, and and it's very sad. But I, I, a guy who's got that, that passion and desire, we can come around a priest like mm-hmm. that and, and bring a team, because there's no such thing as a well-rounded person. No one, no one can do this themselves. And we're going to talk in the next podcast about a senior leadership team for bishops. Stay tuned for that one. It's going to be great. Look at you teasing the next podcast. <laughs> we're not even through this one. <laughs> but that's, that's the number one thing. Get a guy with who, who's got the fire in his belly. And and then you, with diocesan support, you can come around him and help him in in his task of leadership. I've got a question for you, Father James, because it, it makes me wonder what what risk am I being put at if I'm a bishop and I think, yeah, okay, I know who that guy is, or I know who those six or seven or three or four people are, but my plum parishes are kind of something I save for people who put in their time, and if I go that route, I am going to really do some damage in terms of the. Because I've got to look after my entire staff or resources, and what you're asking me to do is would fly in the face of it, wouldn't it? That's right, and, and I don't think it's so much that the bishop uh, has to, you know, you know, move some senior priest to particular parishes that are seen as rewards. Uh, but I think in many dioceses that culture is certainly there, whether the bishop likes it or not. And there's the whole thing: do I, if if I if I lean into favoring my priest with passion? And I'll tell you that it may be your your experienced priest, it may be some younger priest. Huh, we've got a priest in our oh, network awesome. who's 74 <laughs> years old, and he's one of the most passionate men we know. And he is doing God is doing amazing things with him. He's so, 70. Just he's 70. Record, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. He runs he runs marathons, and he's amazing. So he's. Uh, it doesn't, you know, it can be any age, but Absolutely. but here's the, th- we're at a, a, a point of decision, you know, a, a crisis, crisis, the Greek word for crisis means, means decision. We're in a time of crisis now in our church and a decision has to be made. Are we just going to go along with this clerical idea that a parish is a benefice? And that was for those listening, that was like in the middle ages, basically parishes were given as re- were like rewards because the pre- there was no priest salary. You got paid according to what parish you were in and if you were in a poor parish you basically starved to death if you were in a rich parish you were it was you you had it made and so traditionally there was a sense that priests have to put in their time and the longer they are in ministry you get eventually get rewarded you get the plum so-called plum parishes at the end of your ministry where you can kind of kick back and get someone else to do to do all, all the work and <laughs> that like mindset deal. is still very much out there that hmm. well we can't give that parish this guy because it's this guy's turn to get that parish because it's his turn time turn to be rewarded and so what that means is that we're 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 thinking as of parishes as rewards as opposed to what are the needs, what, are the, what is the strategic potential of this parish, and what are the particular uh, gifts that we need for a leader, whether that person be, be, be young or old. So, so that's me, one of the challenges. Let me sure. ask you a question, because one of the things you said was give those best priests the best parishes. It, it's almost... I didn't say the best parishes. The, no, no, the parishes with the best potential, I think, is what yes, you said. Yes, the greatest potential. Yeah, So, but let me, let me challenge you a bit on that, because if I've got, let's say, a, a 10 parishes in my diocese, and two of them are like on life support, don't I want to put my best priest there to try and save it? No. 
<laughs> but maybe I don't know. It depends. What, what what is fertile ground? Like sometimes a parish that is on life support and actually realizes in in their guts the people like we need to change. They that might be that that could potentially be your best option. But in my experience, sadly, and I'm sure many bishops would agree with me, even parishes that are dying, if you go to the people, often the attitude is, we don't want, we still don't want anything to change. And given the the choice between change or die, sadly, so many Catholics will say, hmm, um, I'll take death, please, as long as it dies after I'm gone. I literally, have heard, I heard someone say that to me once about their parish, as long as it doesn't close before I'm gone. Hmm. It's a very kind of selfish mindset. So I would say, just like uh, your best priests are the ones with the passion, your best parishes with the greatest potential are the ones maybe that have the passion and the willingness to actually go there. I wonder too, though, because being you know as a lay person and being being in many different parishes over the years, I've I've been under some uh, questionable leadership over and over and over again. And to be honest with you, there's only so many times I can rev up my engine and be disappointed by poor leadership. And I think sometimes uh, maybe a parish like that, if they're dying, I don't think that matters if it's dying or not dying. What I think matters is what are the demographics around that area? Are there young families? Is it growing? Are there industries? Is there jobs? You know, and if the area yeah. itself is doing good, give me a dead church. Oh, that would be so exciting. I would love a dead church it's, it's true in a robust area. Because you've almost got a, a an empty canvas in some ways, you know, uh, to some degree anyway. But yeah. I, I think it, it differs from place to place. But, you know, I think there's people who know their own context and can say, yeah. we believe this parish has potential. This is huge potential. So, so look, you, you, you challenge this notion of the six-year rotation, uh, and you, I think you put on the table like 12 years as, as, a, as a number. Like, what does that look like, and what, what does that sort of – how do you scale with that? Well, I, I think, first of all, 12 years is like – I could see it as an absolute minimum to really lead a parish from maintenance to mission or from decline to mission. Like we're, I'm, we're here six years, and I'd say we're – I get a feeling that we're kind of halfway there. And, you know – I mentioned in the book that the parishes that I kind of studied in both Catholic and non-Catholic, the ones who were who were actually models of health, this what struck me. All of them had, whether it was Catholic or not, they all their pastors were there for like almost twenty years or more. So long-term leadership is key. You you're not you're not going to see uh, a model parish develop in your in in your diocese without that commitment to long-term leadership. And eventually, I mean, obviously, there comes time for even the 20-odd-year the, the pastor to, to move on to another parish. But if, if it is a model parish, that and, and let's be honest, what does a model parish do within a diocese? It, it becomes a, an example of health to inspire other parishes. Uh, a model parish often will become a resource parish to support and sustain other parishes in different types of ministry. Um, a model parish generally gives a lot of money to the diocese because it should have a good collection and, and so the, the, the diocese benefits financially from it too. So it's in every bishop's best interest to have as many model parishes, healthy parishes as, as can be. So when that inevitably when it's time for that pastor to move on, I, I would say then we have to be really intentional about succession planning. And, and, that, and it's something that doesn't really happen in our church because too often bishops are, are trying to plug holes. Yeah, we're, we're spread too thin, aren't Cause we? Yeah, we're, we're keeping everything open, right? So we're, we're trying to pl- plug holes. And, and, uh, but succession planning in the sense that whoever is going to come back, take over that parish um, after that pastor, there's got to be an alignment, again, of vision and passion 
and an openness to learn. And I would say even that that new pastor coming uh, for a year before and being mentored so that the baton can be passed on without the thing falling apart. I know it's like that would never happen in the Catholic Church. That would never happen. But I think it needs to happen. Like mm. we just can't keep doing everything the way we've been doing. As someone once mm. said, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. You know, I think about you mentioned long-term leadership uh, and and even you know even long-term leadership. Probably after 20 years, they need to move on. And I would say what you said to that other guy. Why? Because if we're producing fruit, long-term leadership that produces fruit. Long-term leadership that is unfruitful is painful. Long-term leadership that produces fruit. What does fruit look like? And if it is a fruitful church and a fruitful pastor and they're a resource church and everything else, I would I would move that guy till he dropped dead, to be honest with you. <laughs> and the other thing is, um, you know, what do we do with people who graduate from the seminary? Like, where do we put them? What better place to put people than in a booming church that is healthy and doing well so that they can be raised up in their leadership? And what would it look like if we took that that priest as we moved him to another church that was struggling and carved off some people? And I'm sure we'll get more into this in the next yeah. podcast, but let's start building churches that work and honestly, I would not move the goose that's laying the golden egg. I would move the eggs. But if that person, that pastor stops becoming fruitful, then sure, move him. But if he's fruitful, boy, keep him there to the bitter end. Guys, this has been an amazing conversation about bishops. Uh, I, I'm glad we had this conversation without any bishops in the room. <laughs> Although I think, <laughs> I you know, in fairness so to us, we did point out that we love you. Um, and we understand that there's a lot of challenges. But I think, Father James, I, I, I truly appreciate your perspective with all the travels and conversations you've had with bishops. That for us to step into this conversation, I don't think is unreasonable. And so I, I'm hoping that some of what we said might uh, might bear fruit in, in your parishes and dioceses around the world. Uh Father James, if people want to find more of you, where should they look you up? Uh, at FJ Mallon on Twitter. I think that's <laughs> Yeah, it is. At FJ Mallon on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. And Ron Huntley, if people want to find more Ron Huntley in their lives, where should they hunt you down? At Ron underscore Huntley. That's his middle on name. Twitter. Underscore Huntley. You Come know, on, you said that this joke is getting so <laughs> old. I can't resist it. <laughs> My name's at Dan O'Rourke. Actually, that's my Twitter handle. My name's Dan O'Rourke. My Twitter handle's at Dan O'Rourke. Don't confuse the two. It's awkward. Uh, if you want more Divine Renovation, check us on divinerenovation.net. If you feel called to support us financially, we are a charity, and we love you and would love you to uh, to feel invited and welcome to, to contribute to our ministry as it is made possible through donations. Uh, for all other things Divine Renovation and the possibility of <coughs> a Divine Renovation <coughs> conference sometime in 2018, check the Divine Renovation website where we will slowly lose our minds as we invite people around the world to come back and visit again. Yahoo! <laughs> Thanks so much, everyone. Yahoo!